Thanks for joining us today on a special episode of the Jesus Famous Podcast with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Today we have a special guest in the studio sharing their story about how Jesus has changed their life. Join us as we discuss stories and discover how Jesus is famous in the testimonies of those around us. All right, Tommy Coda. Dude, I got a question for you. What's up? Is this the year that you finally start working out? This is good. This is it. Yeah, I, I made it up in my mind. Um, so I'm hoping maybe I'll start soon. <laughs> no, just no, play yeah. with you, man. You look good. I did want to ask you a question, a good warm up question. If, if I knew you in the 90s, I can't even imagine knowing you in the 90s. You know, just you I don't telling, know. I'm trying to think. Telling I, your story. It depends on what kind of life you were living in the 90s. I was just living the whitest little yeah. Pacific Grove, California, teenage kid life you could possibly imagine. Yeah. Yeah, probably not. But if I knew you in the 90s, <laughs> yeah. and if I had the courage to ask you at that stage what your favorite, one of your favorite bands was, what, okay. what would you have said? All right. Um, man, I, it probably would have been, a, this would probably be a trip to you, but um, as far as the, I, I've always loved a bunch of different genres, but I would say in the 90s, it would have to be probably anything that would be produced from uh, Death Row Records. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anything from, from there um, to uh, oldies, like, mm -hmm. you know, just a bunch of old classic, you know, East L.A. kind of oldies. Um, and uh, and then also a lot, I listened to a lot of rock and roll, which I still do today, but I, even at that time, yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So <clears throat> I'll say as far as a band goes, um, man, I just, I, I love Led Zeppelin. Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, that would have been my, my three, my three things you yeah. could have found me listening to. Eclectic. You know? I kind of got that vibe last night when we were hanging out at dinner and you were talking about your youngest daughter yeah. and how creative she is and everything. Yeah. And, and, but you were like vibing off it. I yeah. could tell like you understood oh, yeah. the way she is with yeah. movies and all that. Yeah. You're that kind of guy. Yeah, yeah, I think, yeah, I think so. And it's a trip too, because she, uh, we talk and she's like, dad, you, you like, She'll say, like, you like a lot of different things. Like, you know what? Growing up, I told her I, I did. I liked a lot of different kinds of music, you know? It wasn't just one genre. It was, you know, from blues to rock and roll, oldies and gangster mm -hmm. rap and R&B, you know? Um, and, and I was telling her, it was funny. I said, you know, it was kind of like, man, um, I was, like, able to be a chameleon, you know, mm -hmm. just kind of blend into whatever environment, you know, and I said, that was probably one of my problems, too, back in the day that got me into a lot of trouble, you know. Um, but uh, when it comes to, like, music and, and, uh, and arts and all that stuff, yeah, I always had an appreciation, you know, I think. But, yeah, again, just going back to the 90s, if you were to ask me anything from um, Death Row Records, oh, yeah. you know, uh, some oldies, you know, or, or some old <laughs> funk, yeah, and, and some classic rock and roll. So do you... How do you listen to your music now? What what do you use? Spotify? Do you do you know what? Do yeah, you do? Spotify. And I just got um. And this is the only reason why I use Apple Music. I just got like I think six months free. Okay. Apple. So I yeah. said, yeah, I'll take the six months free. A man on a budget. That's postpone it. the Spotify. <laughs> That's <laughs> okay. exactly what I. Were did. you on the Spotify free or were you subscribing to it? it was so it? I was. I did the Spotify six months free thing. Yeah. And then my daughter, she's got Spotify, so she's like, Dad, you can link up to mine, so I'm able to link up to hers. But yeah, prior to that, 
I was on the Spotify free. So yeah, every two songs I was getting like two minutes of commercials. <laughs> I'd have to go and just press mute, you know. It's like, okay, this, this commercial's almost done, you know. Um, yeah, man on a budget, bro. You know. Well, hey, enjoy the next six months, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah, Apple Music. That's it. So, um, you know, you were with our church this last weekend preaching. And, yeah. Uh, first Sunday of the year for those of you who are listening to the podcast today. And it was our missions Sunday, so you're kind of setting the tone for us. And I love the passage God put on your heart, you know, Mark 5, 1 through 20, the demoniac and the Gadarenes and Jesus going to the other side. And I love the phrase that you coined, the other siders, yeah, you know, yeah. we got to reach the other siders. And yeah. what do we do to reach the other siders? And letting ourselves be uncomfortable and not expecting that it's going to be easy and all that stuff it was just such a great tone to set uh, for the year. And you shared your story a lot, you know, during the message. But, you know, of course, you got a 40-minute slot to yeah. preach the word. You can't just elongate the telling of your story. But then we went out to dinner uh, that night, and you were sharing a little bit more of the details of how you yeah. came to Christ. And you were telling the story about how I think you said you were about 29 years old and you were in jail again. Yeah. Again. And, yeah. Again. Yeah. And you were trying to get out. Some, somehow you're trying to get yeah. out. Not like trying to, you weren't trying to dig a tunnel or anything, yeah. but you were. No, that's Chapo Guzman. He digs the tunnels. <laughs> okay. Yeah. but yeah. Not... You weren't at that level. <laughs> I wasn't okay, at that level, right. man. Yeah. So, so tell me what happened. Walk, walk me through that because yeah. I just loved hearing how God um, interjected himself into just a, a, a hand. It felt, I'm sure from your end, like he finally, you know, in a in two-day window, God showed up. But really, you know, yeah. it was just, that was the exclamation point. It was. It, all... it, it came to that. There was a lot of, there was a lot of circumstances that, that led up to that and, um, you know, when, when it's, it's interesting, when, you, when we all look back, you can kind of see how the Lord did this and did that and adjusted this in your life to bring you to a certain, a certain place. And um, yeah, and so, uh, you know, when I was first started going in and out of prison and in and out of jail, uh, every time I would go into jail, um, from the very first time I, I was incarcerated, I would come out worse. And it's just my, my mental conditioning even in a short amount of time, in the, in the time that it, when I first went to jail, which was only like maybe a week or something, um, it just conditioned my mind like, okay, I can do this. You know, uh, I'm not going to lie. The very first time I did go to jail, that first night, man, I was scared. I was uh, 20 years old. I had just turned 20 years old. Um, I was afraid. I was, you know, scared. I, was, I cried. I was like, oh, man, get me out of here. I don't want to be here, you know, but... I survived like that first 24 hours and a couple of days after that. And then when I got released, I was like, oh, okay, I guess I can do this kind of life. And so the reason why I share that is because there was a span. I was going in and out of the L.A. County Jail and then eventually doing prison time and, and um, you know, from a three-year sentence and a few violations and another uh, uh, case I caught, you know, and but every time I would come out, I would just, you know, this mental condition of like, oh, you know, I can live this life and be like more gangster, you know, that mm -hmm. was the, just like more with one of the homies, you know, and that was what I saw there. And I gravitated towards that. 
and um and also the drug use and everything that was involved with it and the pride and you know just uh, uh, the way you carried yourself you know I kind of just I enjoyed that I thought I did and it came up it came to a point um the I had got I paroled um in 2000 from the last prison sentence that I had okay and um and then so upon my release, I went right back to that same kind of life. Prior to that, though, see, I got I to gotta share this because prior to that, uh, when I was in prison in 1996 is when my wife, Diana, she made a, a full commitment to follow Jesus. You know, just she just all in following Jesus. She would come and visit me in prison. Um, just talking about the Bible and I'm like, what's, you know, I, I'm like, I have no clue what were you, what you're saying right now, you know, like, who are you? And I would listen, but I was like, okay, you're going to put money on my books or what? You know, <laughs> you know, that's all I was concerned about, I think. But <clears throat> so for about four years, she was going to this church and she was faithfully praying, uh, believing and just trusting the Lord. And she had faithful women that were pouring into her, just encouraging her. So when I got released, I get released to like now to my, you know, my, I'm there with my wife who's on fire for the Lord, trusting Jesus, going to Bible study. I thought she was going to see some dudes, man, you know, cause she was always at church, like at least three times, at least minimum two to three times a week, you know, and You're like, um, there's gotta be another reason she was going to visit some dude. Well, you know, she was visiting Jesus. That's what she was doing. <laughs> but, um, yeah, in my mind, I was like, what's going on here? You know, but so she was faithfully praying. And so in the midst of, from January um, until I think it was May, okay, so five months, I'm living this life and I'm doing all this, but these emotions in me were kind of just like, um, it was a turmoil that I was going because of the things that had happened to me in, in my past, from my childhood and just growing up and also just looking at myself in the mirror. Um, you know, this is something I didn't share, uh, even at dinner, I didn't share this, but I remember, uh, there was one day, um, I was looking at myself in the mirror and just with disgust, I didn't like the person I was, mm. I was empty. I had nothing to offer my, my family, my wife, I had no skill, you know, like who, what am I doing here? And I just kind of basically gave up, you know, he, he just gave up on my life and, and, um, I was hopeless, man. Just, I had no hope. I gave up on my life. And I didn't really care what had happened to me. People that were in the circles that I was hanging out with and doing, you know, things with on the streets or whatever. Some of them were, um, a couple of them were murdered. Um, one of them went to prison for murder, you know. And so I, I'm just, and these are like some tight circles that I was mm. around. And this is a chaos that's happening. And so on, on top of that emotional feeling that I had of hopelessness, this is you know, my environment that I'm around, I'm like tripping out. And so now my, the cops are after me. And it's just like, and that was the thing. I was like, man, I, I'm 29. At the time I was like, man, I'm old. I'm going to be 30, man. <laughs> if I could wish I could be 30 again. Right. But you know, in my mind, I'm like, man, I want to be 30 years old. I have nothing to show for my life, mm. you know, really, you know? And so, um, so that was in, in May, and um, shortly thereafter, that moment, a few days later, is when my house got raided. It was a parole raid, and my parole agent and the L.A. County Sheriff raided, our, raided the house I was living at, and um, I was there, so they, they handcuffed me. You know, off to jail I go. My parole agent is like, and I'm in the backseat of this car telling my parole agent, man, I, I, I'm done. I don't want to, I, I want to change my life now. You know, I'm, I'm just done with this. I don't want to go to jail. I'm tired of it. Like, I'm tired of jail. I really literally was tired 
of that life of the you know the that the homies and how everything I was just tired of it. Mm-hmm. It was I just was beginning to see like it's, there's nothing in it. Because this. up to that point, you didn't have that kind of feeling when you'd get oh. locked up. You didn't have that feeling of I'm over this. It was oh, exactly. just another step, another stage, another. Yep. Exactly. Wow. Up until that point, you're exactly right, man. I was like, all right, let's go to prison then. You know, I can, I got the homies there. We can do this and that, you know, I would just spend like eight hours a day just working out on the yard and, you know, just hanging out doing nothing. But, um, now, now I'm at a place where I was tired of that. I, I just was, you know, I was, uh, I was just done, but I didn't know how to get out of this life. You know, um, this, this bondage of addiction really was what kept me in this place of, of just, um, hopelessness and, and loss. And, uh, so I'm telling my parole agent as we're getting ready to leave, um, I want to change my life. And he just told me at that point, he said, man, shut up. Now you want to change your life. Now you got the handcuffs on. Now you want to change, shut up, sit back. You're going to prison. You know, for, I already told you 12 months violation. That's the minimum uh, or yeah, minimum you're going to get. And so, um, so I sit back, I'm like, all right, in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to Chino state prison for a violation for at least 12 months. And I was like, man, and now I was getting upset, you know, just, man, I hate this, you know, and so go through this process again, you know, and I had only been out for like five months, you know, from doing, you know, three plus years, almost four years straight. And um, so anyways, I, uh, I get to the L.A. County Jail and I remember some of the some of the young, some of the guys and some of them were young. They were coming up to the bars and, you know, there in the module that I was at. Like, hey, man, they're kind of just saying, hey, we're happy to see you. What's going on, man? You're here. You're back. Oh, you know, just almost happy to see me. And I just like I remember I stopped. I'm like, shut up, fool. You know, I'm in jail. Why are you happy to see me? I'm in jail. You know, and this is not an accomplishment. Yes. This is not something to be happy about. See, but the the module and the environment that I put myself in for so many years didn't think that way. Right. You know, we thought, all right, we're here. We're here to get our stripes. We're here to earn our, earn our, our, you know, earn those stripes, you know? And, um, and so now like we didn't, no one really thought that way. And so I'm starting to think this way, but I didn't know how, I still didn't know how to get out. And, um, so a couple, uh, couple days goes by and my parole agent actually it was only maybe one day goes by my parole agent shows up at the LA County Jail calls me out and I'm thinking he's just going to send me to Chino right then and there but he has a visit with me because my wife called him and my wife was uh asked asked him if he would give me an option of doing a men's program an addiction men's drug and alcohol program um rather than going into prison and he was trying to talk her out of that. Like, he's never going to change. He needs to go to prison. Why do you love him? You know, and it's already been 10 years that we've been married at that time. And you need to leave him. He's never going to change. And, but she was saying the same thing to him that she said to even to some of my family members that, hey, she's like, I believe in God. And I believe God has a plan. And I'm praying for him. And so. Which um, is just amazing to me, that level of faith. I mean, you yeah. guys were, she was in high school. When you guys got married. So she's not this older, matured person when she gets married to you. She's very young. Yeah. She gets saved, but she's still young at that time. But she, man, the level of trust. Yeah. Young in the faith. And and yeah, it's just, that was it. And it was just raw faith. You know, as I, you you bring that up right now, it's just raw faith. She's just like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to call and eat. 
And that's so he came and, and uh, asked me what, what I thought. And I said, okay. I said, oh, yeah, let me do the men's program. See, because prior to that, a couple days prior to that, I was just like, I was done. But I didn't know how to, I didn't want this life. And so I'm starting to think when I have this option, oh, yeah, I can go to NA and AA and just smoke weed. And, you know, because in my mental thought, like, you know, weed is not a drug, you know, so I can just smoke weed, kick back with the homies all day, buy a lowrider and just watch the kids play around in the neighborhood, you know? Um, but, uh, and so I said, yes, I'll do this. And so he had told me, okay, um, for me to continue on parole, a CO, he says, I'm going to COP you, okay, which is continue on parole. Okay. And, um, but there's a process of paperwork that's got to go through. And he said, oh, it's going to take about three to five days. So I'm in the jail. I was like, all right, three to five days. All right. So I'm, I'm getting out of this place. I'm just like, I'm not saying anything to none of the homies. Like, I'm trying to just like, hey, I'm not even here, man. I'm just going to sleep and rest. And they're going to call my name to get released. Um, you know, five days comes and goes. Ten days comes and goes. It was about 23 days later um, that uh, I'm, I'm in this cell. And it, within that 23-day span, um, you know, because of some of the things that I was doing prior to um, prior to the, you know, me being in jail for so long and, and prison in life, prison life, um, there was things that I did, you know, and, and people that I did know from other neighborhoods and all that other stuff knew that I was there, you know, during this time. And so they're like, Hey man, what's up homie? You know, it's like, that's how we used to talk to each other. You know, like, what's up homie? You know, I say, like, Hey, I got this, you know, got this problem, got this issue and help me out. We're here, you know? So we would always like, uh, send little notes back and forth to each other. And like, if, you know, and even, violent actions would take place in within the, the LA County jail, you know, and, um, sadly to say to my shame and, you know, God's, God's forgiven me, but I was, I was a part of some of those things mm -hmm. in times past. And so, um, there was an, an issue that was going on and I had gotten this, uh, note, we call it a kite, you know, or a wheela and, um, asking if I would, um, you know, kind of behave in the way that I did in the past and do some things to this youngster that was in my cell because he had crossed some kind of line with some other dude, you know, and, and, and so in my mind, I'm like, oh man, I don't want to do this. And so I'm thinking, okay, maybe they just need to see him with a fat lip or a black eye, you know, um, call it, we would call it, hey, this guy, this youngster has to get regulated. That's, that was one of the terms, okay. hey, we're going to regulate you right now. Yeah. So just stand there, you know, let me give you a fat lip, maybe knock out your tooth, you know, or something just so everyone can see you got regulated, you know, but, um, it was more than just like a fat lip or a black eye. You know, I was, um, actually asked to, um, cut this person with a jailhouse made knife with it, which is called like a jailhouse shank. Mm -hmm. And, um, and so at this point, again, I'm thinking, man, I'm supposed to be out of here. You know, three to five days, my parole agent said, I'm still here and this is what's going on. And so I got all this, I'm tripping. Like I'm upset. I'm mad. I don't want to be here no more. And something bad's going to happen. And so I just, I remember on that particular day, I started, um, we had cell phone, not cell phone. We had phones. Uh, we had phones, um, in the cells. And so I started calling my parole agent. I called his office, left a couple of message. He's not answering or, you know, um, he can't call me back. I'm in there, but, um, He's not answering his phone. I start. I called my wife to see if I can get her to call three way to uh, to another office to try to connect with him, and she wasn't answering her phone. 
And my mom answered. So I called my mom. She finally answered. And so I'm like, Mom. I go, without saying too much over the phone um, of what was going on, I was just like, Mom, listen. I go, some bad things are happening right now. I need to talk to my parole agent. So you do me this favor. Call three-way to my parole agent. And see... And my mom, she's like, she was like, no, I'm not calling anybody for you because every, I would always um, exploit my mom and her kindness, mm. you know, and get her to call three way to different people. And um, she would get mad. Why'd you let me call that person? You know, and I'm, you know, get her involved in some of the, the stuff that I was doing. And so she, she just didn't trust me. I don't blame her at that time. But she had told me that I'm not going to call nobody for you. The only person that can get you out of the jail you're in is, is Jesus. You need to call Jesus. And that's what she told me, man. And I remember I was on the phone. I was like, I got mad. I cussed, you know, I said some bad words to her, cussed her out, you know, and <laughs> I hung up the phone, you know. And then I sit there for like 10 minutes and I realized like, oh, shoot, man, she was the only one that answered the phone. I better call her back. You know, mom, I'm sorry. You know, please, you know. But now the phones, they're not working because they're operated by the deputies, you know, in the main um, area of that jail. So they turned all the phones off. And now it's about maybe eight o'clock at night. Um, I have this jailhouse shank. There's this young person that I've been asked to regulate, you know, in a way now there's a shank involved, you know, and, um, I was just like, man, I don't want to do this. And, and, um, if I don't, like if I don't, I started feeling like, man, this is like kind of like a setup, you know, like I'm doing someone else's dirty work for them and I shouldn't be doing this because that's kind of like against the, the, um, like the, our own jailhouse regulations, Mm -hmm. you know, um, but but what if it is like this is something that is being requested of me and and oh man like you know I just found myself in a bad bad place you know and I didn't want any part of that life no more but I didn't know you know if you know I was hopeless I was just hopeless and so the only words that were echoing through my ears man were the words of my mom at that time when she says the only person get you out of there is Jesus you got to call to Jesus. And so I, um, I remember I sat down in the, at the foot of my rack at my bunk right there and the bars are right here on my right side. And, and I was just like, in my mind, I said this, I, I was like, you know, God, I don't know if you're real, you got to get me out of here because you know what's happening. You know, you know what's going to happen tomorrow. And I don't think anything's going to happen good. And, and I got to get out of here, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't know if you, if you're real, you'll do it. If not, I guess, I don't know what's happening, man. Cause but, the clock was ticking because you couldn't do this to your uh, cellmate yeah. in the cell because then they'd know that it was you. You you were waiting for yeah. something the next day. Yeah, exactly. So normally, what would take place is like we would uh, like stuff like this one. It, it would happen, you know, it'd be all planned and and everything. And when uh, every other day they would open up one tier to go out and do showers, right? And so the next day was our turn to do showers. And so, and showers started after breakfast, which was like at eight o'clock in the morning or something like that. And so they would open all the gates, everyone would come out, you know, and we would take lines, uh, you know, take turns and taking a shower real quick. And so that's usually when stuff, violent things had taken place, okay. you know. Um, so that clock is ticking. You yeah. know, that moment is coming. Yep. Tomorrow's showers, tomorrow's eight o'clock, it, it, it's going to happen, you know, something's going to happen. And so, um, I laid down, you know, right after I thought that thought and, you know, prayed that prayer, really, you know, um, in my mind, I, I laid down, I, I fell asleep. 
And next thing I know, about four in the morning, my name gets called over the loudspeaker that they have in there. And a deputy comes down and just knocks on the bars and calls my name and says, hey, man, your paperwork's here for your parole agent. Get it. You're getting out of here right now. And I was like, right now, right now? He's like, yeah, right now. So I got up, man, and, and I told my celly, this young guy who, um, who, who was, you know, in, this, in, this, in the crosshairs of someone, right? Um, I just told him, hey, man, when I wake up, or when you wake up in the morning, just tell everyone that I was gone. You don't know what happened to me, man, that I was just gone, you know? Um, so he's all right, man, because he was going to make an announcement. I thought, hey, you know, the homie's leaving. I said, no, don't say nothing, man. Just, you know, say that I'm gone, you know? And um, so I called my wife that first thing in that morning to come and get me. And she came to pick me up. And I was telling her what had taken place, you know, like, hey, last night this was going on. You know, this was happening. And man, this like I, I was like, God, if you're real, I don't know if you're real, but if you are, you got to get me out of here. And I was telling you, babe, it worked. You know, I prayed and it worked, you know, for the first time, you know. And um, and so she was like listening to the story I was telling her. And then she turns turns to me. She turns to me. I remember she'd been going to church faithfully for about four years up until this point. And um, she, there was a Friday night women's prayer that she would always go to. And she said that, oh, my, she starts telling me that, oh, man, I was at this prayer meeting last night with all the women. And all we did was pray that God would make himself real to you. And I'm like, so I'm sitting in the passenger seat. She's telling me this. I'm like freaking out. Like, what? Like, that's real. Like, so I'm like, this is real. This, this is real happening. This happened. This is real stuff. I'm not saved yet, you know? And so I'm like tripping out like, man, for the first time, God answered, you know, a prayer like this, you know, because I would get arrested a lot, man. And I'd always be asking, oh, Lord, I'd be like on the hot hood. Like, Lord, please don't let them take me to jail. They always took me to jail, <laughs> you know? So I figured, man, these prayers don't work or something. But, um, but so I'm thinking in my head, finally this worked, you know, and, uh, so it was we, those ladies, it, it was, was their prayer. It was man. And it was the faithfulness, you know, yeah. of just all these years, you know, about four years prior of just my wife praying and, and other family members and, and my wife getting the women praying. And, um, and so I get home and, and, uh, the next thing you know, is like, when we get home that Saturday morning, um, my, my brother-in-law and, and some of my homeboys were there in the garage. You know, they were getting high and drinking and stuff. And so my wife goes in. She was five months pregnant because, um, you know, about four and a half, five months pregnant with our youngest daughter at this time. And uh, so she goes, my wife goes into the house and I, I go in the garage. And the first thing I do, man, I start drinking, start getting high. My homies are there. We're like scheming already you know, how we can go pick up some money. And, and cause I'm thinking, Hey, I only got Saturday all day, Saturday, Sunday, cause I'm going to this program on Monday. So I got like less than 48 hours to make some stuff happen. And, uh, so we're there scheming and my wife comes in and, and she was like, um, what are you doing? Like, you know, I thought you said you wanted to stop. You're going to the program. And I was like, I am, you know, that's, that's on Monday though, you know? And, um, so I knew she was a little bit of a, she was a little upset, you know, just because of the things that I was doing and what I had said prior and the, the experience that I had the night before God doing something. And mm -hmm. so uh, she was upset. And so she rented, uh, she got a hotel room. She's like, I got to get you out of this, you know, our neighborhood here. So she rented a hotel room in Orange County, California. And uh, so we go to this hotel room, NBC Suites, and I'm up all night long, man. And I got some friends that are calling me, hey, we got some dope, come over here. So I was like, man, I can go and kick back with the homies for a couple of hours. And, but 
I didn't leave anywhere. I just stood there at that embassy suites. Um, and in that morning, I know that she was still upset. It was now it's Sunday morning. I didn't sleep at all, man. I was smoked all my cigarettes. I was tweaking out, you know, just, uh, you know, I was high. And, uh, so I, I tell her over breakfast that Sunday morning, I said, Hey, I'll, you know, just don't be mad. I'll go to your church with you. You know, just don't be mad at me today. You know, <laughs> when we got one day before we go, I go to this program and she looked at me. She's like, all right, or, you know, you don't want to, you sure you want to go? Yeah, come on. That's cool. So we go, we go to church and, and with no intention on getting saved. I had no intention. You know, again, I was, I actually was thinking like, okay, this program is going to help me stop doing all these other drugs and I'll just kick back, drink beer and smoke weed all day and, uh, and go to AA meetings or something, you know, cause I knew of some homeboys that were doing all that. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'll just follow in their footsteps. Well, um, I didn't, I didn't think that Jesus was going to have any role in this. And so I, anyways, I go into the, uh, into this church, just kind of looking around, not expecting anything. And the next thing you know, man, I hear the gospel message. And I start hearing uh, this message of love and, and grace. And, you know, Nate, one of the biggest things that really captured my heart that Sunday morning, which was June 11th of 2000, was when I was thinking in my thoughts, hearing the gospel, like, okay, this is great, but God can't love a person like me because I was thinking of all the things that I've done. You know, it's like, man, I've done a lot of bad things. I hurt a lot of people, especially my family. You know, I just hurt them emotionally, mentally, and even physically. And I said, God wouldn't love a person like me. You know, you probably love a person like, you know, someone else. He loves a person like you, Nate. You know, not me. You know, that's what I was thinking, you know. And, um, and the moment that I th- had that thought in my brain, the pastor that was preaching says, like, uh, it doesn't matter what you've done in life. How bad or good God's love is greater than it all. The moment I had that thought, wow. that's, that was the word that was spoken. God's love is greater than that. And that's, it captured me so, so big. And, um, you know, so I'm standing there and I'm like, you know, sitting there and I'm thinking I want to cry, but I'm holding back these tears, man. And, and, uh, and so the service is over. Final prayers done. I'm thinking, wow, that was close, man. I almost became a Christian or something, you know? Like, I was holding back these tears. I was so emotional. And then, but it wasn't over. There was a final invitation. Like, hey, if, if the Lord, if these emotions or if God is speaking to you and you know that God spoke to you, you need to come up here and ask God to forgive you of all your sins because that's his love reaching out to you. And I was like, again, it was as if everyone in this this little small sanctuary disappeared and it was just me jesus and and this preacher you know and i just found myself at the foot you know there of that platform of that altar if you will and i'm just crying just weeping weeping i I never said a sinner's prayer at that moment at that time i didn't say a sinner's prayer i just cried my eyes out and the words i did say was i'm sorry god I just kept on repeating, I'm sorry, God, I'm sorry, God. There was a whole song or two that was being played, and, you know, these men came over, they started praying for me, and they're like, oh, hey, man, you know, your name's Tommy, right? I'm like, yeah, how do you know me, you know? And, (laughs) man, we've been praying for you. You know, your wife's been asking us to pray for you as a men's group and everything, and so um, our prayers are being answered right now. And so, you know, it was very emotional. I started to meet these other guys, you know, and and just see them, and they, they knew me because they were praying for me, and my son happened to be there at this moment, you know, he was about nine or 10, um, years old at this time. And he, uh, as a matter of fact, he had just turned 10 cause it was in June. So 
he was looking up at me and I remember I was just like, you know, I never really cried in front of my son. I always want to have, you know, I never really cried, you know, I just never did. Mm -hmm. Um, and that's sad, you know, because crying is healthy and it's, it feels good, Mm -hmm. you know, um, when it's the good cry, you know, Mm -hmm. and, but I never cried. And so the first time in my life I'm having this, this emotional tearing up moment, man. And, and, um, it felt good. It felt cleansing, but still I was like, Oh son, you don't look at me cry. Go over there with your mom. And you know, um, I was expecting him to go, but he didn't, man. He stood right there and and he had been going to church with my wife, you know, for these past four years too. So he's really familiar with like children's ministry and prayer and, you know, God's love and all the, you know, gospel stories and everything, Mm -hmm. you know? So he looked up at me and he said, dad, it's, it's because God loves you. You know, those are the words you said. And I remember, man, that just, uh, that moment right there too, it'll, it'll never disappear from my brain. You know, um, I just, I remember I just wept even more, you know, uncontrollably almost. And I just picked him up and I started kissing him on the face. And as I'm crying and I made a promise to him that I was going to, I was going to be his daddy, that I was never going to leave him or his sisters or his mom that I was going to do everything I can just to mm-hmm. always be there, never never to leave again, like how I have. He's only known me in prison pretty much. You know, I think I, up until that point, I've only maybe attended two of his birthdays, mm-hmm. you know, and one of them he doesn't even remember because he was like one years old, yeah. you know. Um, and so uh, I just made that promise to him, you know. And so, yeah, that was on June 11th of 2000. And so, you know, I just look back on all of that and th- that moment But prior to that, all the things that led up to that, you know, some family members that just um, poured into me at times and and my wife and her prayer group and and everything. It's just like, wow, the Lord had his hand in it all the time. And I don't know, what what, what are your thoughts, man, in in the sense of, I want you to tell me, because I think that when we look back, you know, we see uh, God leading us, right? God leading us, even when we don't, when we don't know it, does he, does he do that? Like he leads us when we don't know it, right? Even when we're not saved. Yeah. You know, you know the truth of that. Yeah. Of course, you know, he was designing everything to get you to that ripe moment. He was ripening your heart, pursuing you, the hound of heaven, the spirit of God chasing you down. The hound of heaven, man. That's so good. So I I wanted to ask you a couple of like follow-ups to that part of your story. Cause I mean, really that's part of your story, but you know, that was over 20 years ago and God's been doing amazing yeah. things since that time. I like the way you described it to me last night. You're like, I didn't really understand people who weren't all in oh, yeah. on Jesus once they yeah. got saved. You know, why wouldn't you want to be yeah. all about it? You know, but looking back, um, one of the things that Uh, I think is encouraging about your story is definitely Diana's commitment to you and her prayer uh, life for you. We were talking yesterday and with uh, Pastor Mike uh, Casey and his wife, Michelle, who are big pillars in our church here in Monterey, who have a similar story in that um, she even got to points where she was exasperated and ready to walk away from the marriage before he became a Christian. And she was encouraged to just keep sticking it out a little bit longer and to faithfully wait and pray. And she did. And, you know, God heard those prayers. I think for people listening, you know, there's like a couple of ways that you can kind of go with that. You know, one is the encouragement 
of, you know, we all have people in our lives that we care for immensely that mm-hmm. aren't doing well. Yeah. And being like your wife and like so many others over the course of church history who have prayed hard for long periods of time for someone that they care about, trusting that God is going to do something in that person's life, believing for them, even when they have no faith themselves. Mm. So I think to me, it urges us in that direction. And, you know, I think there's probably a lot of people in the church, especially these days, there's a lot of parents who have watched their children walk away from the Lord. And that's been really discouraging to them. But I, I find a lot of times parents will do like anything but pray. Yeah. They'll do anything but grab a few friends and say, hey, would you get together with me every week and cry out to God with me for my child yeah. or for our children and let's ask God to do something and let's just commit to that until the breakthrough occurs, yeah. you know, because so often it's like, well, I'm going to send them an article or I'm going to send them your yeah. Bible study, Pastor Nate, you yeah. know, I'm going to, you know, I want to re- send them this book, you know, it's like, hey, I, they're, they're probably not in the frame of mind where they're going to read, you know, the book that you send them like, that's yeah, fine, you could do that, you know, maybe they will pick up a reason for God by Keller or something. But yeah. if they're just out there doing their thing, there's a good chance that's not going to make it on their list of priorities. Yeah. But you can pray for someone. You don't have to ask for their permission. You know, you can take them all the way to the throne room of God. But then I'm sure another way of taking it is there are people, of course, who, you know, they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and that breakthrough never happened, you know, and so it can be a discouraging thing to them. And I'm sensitive to that too, because, you know, as much as we love the happy ending, it doesn't always happen. So, you know, what would you say as an encouragement to people that are listening, thinking about the way that your wife held the faith for you? I think, you know, it's when we, when we hear, when I share my story and one of the things that I'm always reminded of to communicate to, to folks that I'm I'm sharing with is, is never to give up, you know, as, because, and I know that those are easy, like sayings or even a cliche, Oh, never give up, you know, but, and the reality is though, is that we can't give up on what God can do and, and just trusting in him. And I try to like present, you know, this, this testimony of what God has done in my life to encourage families, marriages, parents of children, um, because God can do the miraculous, as long as we just, we keep on trusting him and on that, when, when that happens or how that happens. And even if that happens, you know, we don't know, but we know that as we're trusting the Lord, God will get them through that. Mm. And oftentimes God does answer those prayers on his timing, you know, and, um, and again, I'm remind I'm reminded of the, the, just from the gospel of Matthew or excuse me, Mark from chapter five, what we were looking at yesterday is just that demoniac, you know, that, that crazy man. You know, and, um, you know, who would have ever thought that this person can be saved, you know? And so we, it, we see that in the scriptures, but then when you see it being lived out in a person's life, it helps them to just really trust the Lord, you know? And that, it, it's also a tough thing, though, too, Nate, you brought something up, like, but it may not happen, 
you know, and those, that's just, that's the reality of life, you know, and it is, it is so hard to, you know, just watch a family and they pray and they pray and they're just seeking the Lord and they really don't see any kind of breakthrough. And, and then, you know, that life is ended or, or you know, whether it ended tragically right. or, or whatever, you know, and it's just like, I feel like, oh, wow, what do we say now? You know, God, did he come through? And, and for me, what I have noticed in those kinds of situations is that that family that continued to seek the Lord, even though maybe the prayers were never answered the way that they would, we all would like them to get answered, God met them in different ways and comforted them in, in amazing ways during that time where even their own personal walk you know, grew and, and, um, and they yep. themselves have some kind of a testimony, even though those prayers weren't answered. And so there's still, even though maybe a loved one wasn't delivered or set free from a grip of addiction or, or a particular lifestyle or something, you know, um, the testimony of God still meeting that family in a, in a different way, yep. you know, is, is still powerful. And so I just try to encourage them, you know what, you when you're seeking the Lord, you're not going to lose. Yeah. It's you know? still the better path. Yeah. Because I mean, part of it is the way that you relate to the person that you're praying for, Yeah, you know, because if you don't take them to God in prayer and you're not pleading that the gospel breaks through into mm -hmm. their hearts and lives and you're not interceding for them in that way, the only alternative is a hardness is going to come over your heart, a hatred and you know, a feeling where you despise that person mm -hmm. that's going to come over you. you it's going to be hard enough as you're yeah. believing God for them not to go in that direction, but at least you stand a chance, you yeah. know, so God's sanctifying, growing. And there's so many stories that seem like they concluded without God answering that prayer, but there's also the unknown. We don't yeah. always know what those last moments, those dying right. breaths were like yeah. in someone's life. And maybe in that moment, God gave them clarity. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times we have that hope. That's, that is so true. You know, there's a, I have a, um, a family member through marriage. Um, and this is, this happened a few years back and, uh, he and I, we back in the days, man, we would get high together and do a bunch of, you know, things. And I get saved. And I remember having interaction with him from time to time and just encouraging him and, you know, Hey man, you got to stop this, you know, come to church. And he was like, ah, oh, man, I don't need no Jesus stuff. I don't, you know, I can't believe you got suckered into that Jesus stuff and all. He would tell me, right? And again, this was a, a family member through marriage, and so I knew him pretty well. Well, um, he ends up getting sick with uh, with some some cancer. I forget it was stomach cancer or something like that. He had gotten really sick, and uh, he was on his deathbed, you know. And when he first got on that deathbed, you know, he was still had the attitude like, oh, you know, I. I did it this long without Jesus, you know, and it's why now, you know, kind of like very being very prideful. But a few weeks after that, and because I was going, you know, pretty frequently, and uh, a few weeks after that, I, I go and, and uh, I just talked to him. And I said, hey, Manuel, you know, it's just he and I. And um, I just asked him, um, I said, hey, can I pray with you? I didn't say nothing. I said, hey, can I pray with you? And he said, yeah. But then he had some questions for me before I prayed. I, and so it was questions about, you know, just um, the reality of Jesus and God and kind of the experiences that I had. And I just started sharing with him, you know, answering his questions. And, um, and again, the whole family had been praying for years, you know, for, for Manuel. And 
you know, uh, he starts crying. He starts crying right there in this bed. And, um, my, uh, my, my stepmom comes in and, and she's there. So she sees him and he, she starts crying and we're all crying. And I just asked him like, Hey, do you want to accept Jesus right now? And uh, he said, yeah. And he said, I want to accept Jesus as my savior. And I said, okay, I prayed with him. He um, prayed for him. He asked God to forgive him of all of his sins. And it was about a week later, um, he gave his last, you know, he had his last breath and he died, you know, and, but, you know, from all those years of praying, of interceding, and even having to go through like just him talking trash to us, what are you what's wrong with you? You know, you're, you're believing a, a fairy tale and all this and that, you know, to the point where you didn't want to, I didn't want to talk to him no more, you know, because he would just make me mad. You know, it's like, man, I'm gonna sock this dude, man. You know what I mean? He's coming at me sideways and all this, you know. Um, but just for all that faithfulness of just continuing to pray and they're on his deathbed, you know, him finally getting to the point of like, I, I need Jesus, you know, I want Jesus to forgive me, and him actually saying those words, it gave so much comfort, you know, um, even though there's so much turmoil that, that was taking place throughout those years prior, um, it almost like was erased, mm. you know, and that's what God does, you know, I guess, he just erases all that bad stuff, and you know, the bad memories, and it's like, well, he asked for, self, for salvation and forgiveness, mm. you know, and a week later, he's um, he died, you know, and wow. um, and it's, Praise the Lord. Like, you know, he may have died, but he's alive today, you know? Amen. So it's just those things of just don't give up. The temptation to give up is always there, yeah. you know? And I think we just press through that. We yeah. press it because we never know what yeah. the Lord's going to do and yeah. how he's going to do it, yeah. you know? And I think that's the biggest thing that we can just say. And and I think also, too, uh, I would encourage families, like when we pray and we're, you're, in, you're asking for prayer, you're going to church, and you're being a part of a prayer group, and you're interceding for a loved one, a child, a spouse, or something like that. What happens is I, I really think that your, your, the fellowship with the believers gets stronger, you know, and yeah. you have a sense of like, like, you know, there's, there's a, a, this family, you know, there's family and you're, you're, there's a, there's support, there's a sense of safety and, and, and faith, you know, when your faith is weak, you know where to go. And, and so, um, yeah, it's just like a win-win. It's a shared know? burden that yeah. you have together with someone else. You yeah. know? It's very vulnerable sharing with another Christian, yeah. this personal hurt and broken relationship that you have in this other part of your life, you know, and to ask them to pray with you. Yeah. That's a very vulnerable thing to do, yeah. but you're right. It creates that bond. It's all good, you know, is the thing. And, yeah. and I think what we're saying is if this is your situation, you know, sometimes I'll hear people say like, well, I, I prayed for them, you mm -hmm. know, I, I've, I've been praying for them, mm -hmm. but, but I, and I'm not, I don't want to critique someone's prayer life per se, but I would say, Hey man, make sure you're really praying. Yeah. You know, if, if you're just talking about like in a moment where you're angry, you're like, God, why don't you reach into their life? And that's yeah. it. Uh, you know, that's something, mm -hmm. but I think what we're talking about is a more robust uh, yeah. dependence on God over a long period of time. All yeah. right. Another thing I want to ask you about related to your story um, that I thought was interesting just talking to you, uh, last night you shared and you alluded to it a little bit today, how the times that you were locked up, they had moments where they'd offer you, you know, to learn a trade or mm -hmm. to, mm -hmm. you know, better yourself, so to speak while you're yeah. incarcerated. 
And I think some people do have a little bit of a Pollyannish kind of fan fantasy idea of what prison might be like. It's like it's a great time for rehabilitation <laughs> to take place, a second chance. You know, yeah. these these men and women can go in there and we're gonna, you know, offer education and training and services and they can come out, you know, and yeah. And you made the decision the whole time, like, no, I'm not doing any of that. Yeah, yeah, and, no. And and so and so then you're sitting there at 29 going, man, I probably should have done some of that stuff, you know, learn how to, you, you mentioned things like upholstery or yeah. uh, woodworking, you know, you're like, I probably should have done some of those things, but you didn't. And you're sitting there at 29 feeling badly about yourself because mm -hmm. you're feeling like I have no skills. Yeah. I have nothing to offer my young family. Yeah. Um, and all of that. And I, so the, the thing I want to get you talking about right now is just, um, the, the redeeming power of God and what he is able to do, because I definitely minister to plenty of people who, you know, maybe not in as extreme of a way as you experience, but definitely at times mm -hmm. in just as extreme of a way as you experience, yeah. feel like, man, I'm, I'm old. I mean, you were only 29, but feeling that yeah. way, like I'm old. I don't have skills. I've, I, I'm just starting to walk with God and I've made a mess of my life yeah. up to this point. What chance do I have to see something beautiful happen? And, um, and my encouragement is always like, man, the best days are yet to come. Yeah. Good stuff is around the corner if you continue to walk with him. But what was that like for you? And how would you encourage someone that's in that mentality? Yeah. You know, it was, it was tough. It it really was. It, it was tough because, you know, I, I just, you know, looking at that point in my life, uh, you know, pretty much all of my twenties were, were done with, you know, and, um, had no education, nothing. And, and just feeling just really down, you know, um, nothing to offer. And here I am as a Christian, I'm like, Oh, what do I want to do? And, and, you know, for me personally, what would help me, and maybe this can help a lot of people too, is in, and I really think I can, is that I was willing to not only work hard, um, but I was willing to yield. You know, I was willing to yield to to authority and to learn something. You know, and because that that was a big problem of mine, I didn't, I didn't like authority. You know, um, and just wanted to rebel. You know, just because they were in authority, so. It was, I made a decision in my mind, like, you know what, I just, if I show up and I just, I'm willing to work hard and do whatever that boss says or what they say or what they recommend for me to do, I'm going to do it, you know? And so I eventually got a job at a warehouse, you know, again, I didn't know how to drive a forklift. I didn't know anything, you know, um, how to work a warehouse job even, you know, but I was willing to learn and, and to work hard. And, um, but it, it took a lot of just yielding to, to, you know, to authority. And I think that's one of the biggest things, man, is, is just for someone who has maybe who battles with that, you know, in his or her life, you know, however old they might be, they might be 29 or they might be 49 or 59, you know, and they're looking at their past as like, man, I have nothing to show for it. And we can give up on that, you know, and like, like you, what you said, man, it's like the, the best days are ahead of us, you know your past doesn't dictate, you know, don't let the past dictate who you can be or what God wants to do in your life. You know, I just, I always try to tell people like, you know, let your past really be a stepping stone, you know, for, for greater things and to reach ahead, 
you know, forgetting those things which are behind, right? What Paul Amen. says and press forward, you know? And so that's why I try to encourage them. Like, let your past, in a sense, really be an inspiration of like, you know what? I'm not going to do that no more. I'm going to do something different. And to do something different really does require a lot of humility, um, a willingness to work hard and to be diligent, you know, and, and to submit, to submit to authority and, and to go in a direction uh, that will help you uh, to really better your life, you know, and um, yeah, just don't, don't give up on that, you know, mm-hmm. just because of what your past may look like, you know, we all have a past, you know, some are a little brighter than others, but it's, it's uh, still a past. Mm. That's good. That's a good word. And then also, I would love to ask you, you know, be, besides the obviously crucial thing of if, if you have someone in your life that is you're praying for uh, or that you really care about and they're going the wrong way, besides the encouragement to be praying for them, um, what other encouragements might you give to someone? Especially, I'm thinking of those who have someone in their life who is an addict and you mentioned the other Mm -hmm. day, like, Hey, you know, there's just, you got to help people that are, um, when you're doing like a drug and alcohol kind of recovery ministry, sometimes you don't get access to the person that's actually using, they're not ready for ministry at times, but their families and their friends, their spouses or their children or their parents, they need help in knowing how to navigate this person. What are some of those big time tested lessons that you've learned that you've thought, yeah, I have to, I'm, I, cause I'm sure it's just a repeated thing over and over again. Yeah. Like, okay, you gotta have a boundary. You gotta, you know, so what are some of the things that yeah. you share with people? Yeah. So obviously you're right. You know, those boundaries, but I would say for, for the, the people that, that, um, that are in, they find themselves in that place. I think we talked about it just a moment ago was, was really the, the, the sincerity of prayer, you know, and, and, um, and the power of it, like really learn to grow in the sincerity and understand and believe in the power of prayer, you know, and, um, and having that prayer time, that, that moment with, with Jesus really be sin, uh, sincere about that, grow in that. Um, and in addition to that, I think the loved one already knows where you stand you know, sometimes it's like, well, I, I talk to him about Jesus all the time and I'm, I'm doing all this. And I was like, well, you know, they already know that. I think the biggest thing is living it out, is just living out the, the, the scriptures and living out your Christianity, you know, within the, in the home. That's always the hardest place to, to really live it out, you know, is there in the home. And every situation is going to be different, though. You know, uh, and this is one of the things I share with um, a lot of families that have their loved ones and like, Hey, what do we, you know, do I just continue to love him and, and put grace, pour out grace. And I, I, it's, it's different. Every circumstance is different. Mm. You know, there's some circumstances I'll, I'll encourage the families. You know what? That I think that sounds like your best option is continue to love them with grace and, you know, be there and listen and, and, you know, not enable, but, you know, really be there and, and just continue to love. But then there's some circumstances I'm like, oh, yeah, no, you got to set some hardcore boundaries right now because this is destructive, not just for him or her, but also for, you know, the family as a whole. You know, you really have to lay down some some um, some tough love, Mm. you know, so it is it's always going to be different, you know. But overall, I would say it's just even in both of those circumstances, 
you know, whether it be this one where you really want to love them with grace or you want to have this tough love, um, is, is the element of prayer, the sincerity of it and living out your Christianity, you know, to just really have it be genuine and authentic, Mm. you know, and I think, um, those are the best things, you know, that I would encourage someone to do. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just really that. That's good. So kind of wrapping things up a little bit today, I want to ask you about something that it doesn't have to re- really to do with anything that we've talked about up to this point and really is kind of the thing I admire the most about you as much as I've wanted you to tell your story while well, you've been here and all of that. Uh, to me, I admire you as a pastor. And since 2014, you've been pastoring Hope Alive Church in Santa Ana. And I'm just curious, like, what are your hopes for Santa Ana? What are your hopes for the church there? What are you kind of dreaming about a little bit and wanting to see the Lord do in that community? Mm. Mm. Man, uh, this, this is a, you know, this is really cool. Cool question. You know, um, our, our dream or overall dream, and I think it's kind of wrapped up in our mission statement, you know, is, is love God, love his church and love people, you know? And, and so, um, there in the city of Santa Ana, there's a large, uh, it's a large, heavily populated uh, area, you know, close to 350,000 people. Um, and many of them are, many of the residents there are immigrants. Uh, it's a very concentrated area. If you don't know where Santa Ana is, I know you know where it's at, but mm-hmm. it's it's um, very concentrated. And, and um, with that, there's a lot of gang activity, a lot of drugs, homelessness, and all these things. And there's a lot of opportunity for uh, just the hands and feet of Jesus to go out into the community. And, and this is something that as far as like a a dream and and a a desire and a vision the Lord's given to us and and to me is, is to be those hands and feet in, in the community meeting needs and, and whether it be through a, a meal um, or through, you know, just being there, you know, helping out with clothing if we can, and just giving away free things when, when we have them and, and, we do it with a purpose of not just ministering to this to the family members, but also sharing the gospel and, and inviting them to church, inviting them to, you know, to accept Christ or to you know how for them um, prayer. You know, these are the, some of the things that we do. And mm-hmm. and uh, one of the other highlights as far as vision is really connecting with our youth. And this is something that um, the youth of the city. Um, this is something we have been doing um, for a long time already, uh, just going out into apartment complexes and just different places and and um, just ministering to youth. You know, mm-hmm. um, bring, I always tell people, man, don't don't ever underestimate the power of pepperoni. We bring some pepperoni <laughs> pizza, man. All the kids come out, but they're, they, they, they're not just there for the pizza. Primarily, probably are. But, you know, we build up relationships and building these relationships up with these young kids and these uh, youngsters that I've, I've been able to do for a while now, it's, it's really cool because these relationships are continuing. You know, some of these students now, uh, I call them students, but they're not students no more. They're like in their you know, mid-20s. Some of them have families now. And, you know, uh, like one of my barbers, he's a, he's, you know, he's a kid I know from eighth grade. and He's my barber now, wow. you know. And it's just, so it's just really being embedded in, in our city um, not just for the residents, but also um, having relationships with, you know, city council and uh, the police department. And so very relational is our church. And I think this is one of the, the hopes and dreams and visions that all these relationships continue to grow. 
um, and also with uh, other church families, other church leaders mm-hmm. that are in the city as well, just to connect and, and have some unity because, you know, um, we just want to see the city, man, yeah. just come to come to saving faith in Christ, you know, so... Um, Whatever it is that we can do, I always share, man, is like whatever it is that we can do in the city of Santa Ana, we're going to do it for the sake of the gospel. Mm. You know, and if that's bringing some food, if that's bringing some pepperoni, you know, um, whatever it is, man, we're going to do it. So that's the overall kind of vision. And, and I'm really excited because we've been we started the church in 2014 uh, there in, in Santa Ana and we've been renting a local school. Um, to to meet at on Sundays and so we don't really have like an established place we've been looking and the Lord led us to a place right right off of Bristol Street one of the main corridors in in set in Santa Ana there in Orange County mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's right off of Bristol man right there and so there's a building right there we were leasing this building it's an 8,000 square foot building for us to start off in you know it'll fit us um, and we can operate out of and I'm uh, really excited, man, to to be there. And uh, one of the confirmations I really believe the Lord has us there is um, right after we signed the lease and got the lease done and, you know, and, and everything, um, about two weeks later, um, a building right next door to us um, was leased out and they put up a banner not too long ago and it said, coming soon, Hustler Hollywood. And so, yeah, it, this this particular part of Santa Ana where the church is at was at one point um, there was a, a large, uh, you know, red light district, you know, a lot wow. of prostitution yeah. and, and all that stuff. And so to, I was like, wow, my wife says, what is that? I go, oh, man, it's time. I go, it's proof that we need to be here, you know. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah, it's um, we're looking forward to what the Lord yeah. has these next coming years. So that's amazing, yeah. man. I think that's. Just hearing you talk about it, that's what I love about uh, and have loved about hearing about your ministry. It's like, obviously, there's tons of problems in Santa Ana. You know, there's all kinds of sin. There's destructive things going on. But your hope is alive, so to speak. Yeah. You know, that's what you want. You, you, you're not just sitting back going, oh man, I, what's wrong with Santa Ana, all these problems that they have and these people that are ruining this city. Your feeling is the gospel is the only hope yeah. here. And so we're going to do whatever we can to bring it to this community. So that's I love it. it. So tell me, uh, what's been one of the biggest surprises to you about being the pastor of a church. Oh man. Um, <laughs> that's like a trick question, bro. <laughs> I, you know, honestly, um, as hard as it is, cause it, it's not, it's not easy. Um, you know, it is hard. I'm not going to lie. It's like, it doesn't, doesn't come easy. Um, just the richness of the relationships mm. that, that I, that I get to have, you know, not just with like, um, our, leadership and everything, but just the, the young families that are coming to church, you know, and, and just the love that, you know, I get to have for them and they, for us and, and just, and to see that, you know, and to have a front row seat to a lot of, um, just amazing things in the lives of people, you know? And so through those relationships, you know, having, being so close to them and, you know, just seeing those, those wonderful things that God is doing in these young families, you know, from them, you know, from, uh, purchasing of houses to new, new kids, you know? Um, and I think just to be a part of lives like that, I, I, 
I never experienced that. You know, it's only, well, it's been this past, you know, seven plus years that we have been, but, um, you know, it's, uh, it never gets old. Mm. I think that's one of the, the big surprises. It's just, man, it is so neat just to have these relationships and friendships within the body of Christ and to see them grow, you know, yeah. um, and, and to still, to love the Lord. So that's, I would say that's one of the biggest things. I don't know if that's so much a surprise, you know, but it was something that was really unexpected yeah. when we started the church. I didn't expect, you know, I guess I didn't think about it, but, um, yeah, just to have those relationships is awesome. That's refreshing. Um, so as we wrap it up, do you have, uh, any, uh, favorite book that you would recommend to people listening to the podcast? Any favorite book? Um, you know, there's the first thing that comes to my mind is there's a, there's a book I'm reading right now and I'm really enjoying it. It's a small book. And it is called um, Multidirectional Leader. I don't know if you've seen it or anything like that. I haven't read that one. Yeah, Multidirectional Leader, and I don't know who the author is. Okay. <laughs> I forgot the name of the well, guy. Well, we'll look it up, and we'll you put it look in the it show up. notes. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. Sure. And it's easy. What I like about it is an easy read right now. So, yeah, it's a, it's a small little book. It ain't big at all, but I'm really enjoying the book. Yeah, it's really encouraging because I think, you know, for me, it's just the whole multidirectional. A lot of a lot of things that are going on in, a, you know, leadership's life, you know, for me as, as far as uh, being a— you know, um, church leader, yeah. you know, um, so it's just how, how to function and how to navigate through all the different stuff. Yep. A growing church, a lot happening. Yeah. Uh, any last exhortations or encouragements for all of us? You know, I, I would say this is pray and, um, have a great expectation of 2022. Happy new year, everybody. You know, um, I'm looking forward to, I love you, Nate. You know, I really do, man. Um, I'm, I'm grateful for, these past weekend to be with you, your wife, your church family. It's just, uh, it's really cool. I'm looking forward to uh, just more, more of this. Yeah. That's I love sure. you too, man. I really appreciate you getting to know Diana better this weekend has been great. And I'm excited about yeah. the year to come for you. I can, I can hear it in your voice, you know, that there's new building and it's a venture of faith, you yeah. know, all the trusting God, the stress that accompanies that, <laughs> but he's got big shoulders He's doing the work. Amen. He's brought you this far. He's got plans. And your identity isn't wrapped up in all that. Your identity is a child of God. Amen. The same identity that he gave to you on day one, June 11th, 2000. That's it. 2000. 2000. Yeah. You know, that same identity he gave you that day, that's the same identity that will get you through all the stuff that you're going to face in these Praise next God. years as a pastor. So appreciate you, man. We pray that today's discussion has blessed you. If you enjoyed today's episode, please like, subscribe, and share so we can continue to reach people and make Jesus famous in our lives and the lives around us. Until next time, God bless.